Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Thanks for downloading and thanks for listening. We appreciate you coming along on this ride, the Hat Soil Health Podcast, where today we talk about fall and winter grazing considerations. Last year, we recorded a podcast about seeding warm season cover crops after wheat. For soil health and grazing, we're going to talk today about fall and winter grazing considerations. And joining me on today's podcast is the superintendent of the Southern Indiana Purdue Ag Center, Jason Tower, and also Southeast Area NRCS grazing specialist, Robert Zapancic. So let's begin here with Jason. Jason, if you wouldn't mind going ahead and introducing yourself. Well, good day to everyone. Uh, as he said, I am superintendent of the Southern Indiana Purdue Ag Center. Uh, we're one of the eight regional Purdue Ag Centers scattered around the state, uh, operated in the College of Agriculture with Purdue University. And at our particular station, uh, located in southwest Indiana, Dubois County uh, in particular, uh, our focus is on, on forages, grazing livestock, and forestry, which uh, matches up very well with the topography of the area. And uh, specifically from uh, grazing management over the years, uh, I started managing here in 2000. Uh, we have continued to uh, improve and refine uh, how we graze from uh, a very slow, uh, long rotations um, to a lot more intense uh, where we're moving cattle uh, every day, every other day in smaller areas, increasing stock density and, and really seeing an improvement in quality and quantity of, of forages that we have to graze. Uh, besides the, the cattle, we also uh, we run some meat goats, uh, manage similar in our, the way we graze as well as some hair sheep have been added to the operation here a couple of years ago. So we kind of cover a broad aspect of, of livestock and different grazing management. Also here, Robert Zapanzik, Southeast Area NRCS Grazing Specialist. Robert, please introduce yourself. As Eric said, Robert Zapanzik. And along with grazing, um, the last 10 years or so, I've been really involved in soil health and all the things NRCS is doing with soil health. So just... The main thing I try to do is help producers do a better job of grazing. The better job they do with grazing, the um, the better the soils are, the more healthy the soils are. And especially what Jason's doing at uh, SIPAC is um, leaving more residual on top of the soil to feed the organisms and everything in the soil and we know that's a healthier system than continuous grazing. And then the latest thing in the last five years or so is trying to get livestock back out in crop fields, grazing cover crops, or doing a better job grazing corn stalks to improve our soil health in cropland. So, Robert, let's start there. Why is livestock grazing so important for soil health? Give me kind of a, a deep dive here. Yeah, in the in the pasture systems, we know that the more residual or plant height and duff that we leave on top of the soil shades the soil, leaves 
um, nutrients and organic matter there that the soil micro microbiology and um, small soil organisms can use to feed on um, and just improves the whole soil uh, biology system. Uh, and then by doing that, we also potentially grow more forages, so we have more stocking days um, throughout the year. Then on the other side, uh, what we're learning is in the cropland scenario that getting the livestock back out on the cropland brings all the biology from inside that cow that gets deposited as manure onto the field and improves the biology again of the soil and also gives us a way to utilize the top growth on our cover crops to produce another economic stream to hopefully make the farming system more economical. Now, Jason, you were just talking a few moments ago in your introduction that you've introduced some other things. We're, we're not just talking about cattle here. We're, we're seeing some other opportunities for livestock grazing as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, any of our ruminant animals are, are great uh, grazers and utilize uh, forage as well, and, and each are unique in, in how they can use those things and, and what they do. Uh, we've got some areas uh, we don't necessarily take a a grain crop off, um, but we do a combination of, of the summer annuals, as you mentioned, and then we'll follow that up with the uh, winter annuals or what a lot of the row crop guys will consider uh, your cover crops, whether it's uh, turnips, oats, rye, rye grass, cereal rye, combination of all those, uh, peas, whatever you want to put in there. And we have grazed uh, you know, all three species on that, and you know the way that animals are able to utilize those are are unique and and what they can get out of that. Uh, you know, for an example, when we we have the turnip component in that, um, and it'd be similar for radishes. You know, as the cattle are grazing that, uh, just by design, you know they don't utilize a lot of the the bulb or the root structure that's down in that soil profile. Um, when we've had goats out there, we've got those turnip bulbs. You know, they basically go out and, and eat that whole turnip bulb, and you're left with all these little pockets. Uh, looks like little cereal bowls sitting in the, in the ground where they've, they've ate and utilized that. You know, and to me, that's a place to gather some water if it's dry, allow some things to fill in. Some of that, that top growth falls down in those holes uh, where the cattle uh, just kind of clip that off and, and don't make full use of that. So each species fits in there the way they graze, and, and I'm sure... Um, you know, graze properly, each would affect soil things just a little bit differently. Uh, yeah, another another thing about that, talking about different livestock species, the um, small ruminant sheep and goats really benefit from tall growing forages so that they eat high and keep their um, mouths up off the ground where they re-ingest the parasites if they're too close to the ground. So that's another way we can use um, these cover crops to generate soil health but also generate a parasite free space for our small ruminants to be able to graze whenever whenever that fits into the cropping system yeah that's definitely true robert and especially the timing difference uh, you're so long between uh, grazing cycles that a lot of those uh, parasites you know if they were left from the previous grazing particularly if you're on a crop ground you're only grazing the winter side of it uh, a lot of those issues disappear, and, and if you do a good job management, 
that parasite control is a huge, huge deal in small ruminants. So that's, that's a huge benefit on the animal side. You're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. You can learn more about their programs and upcoming events by visiting ccsin.org. I'm with Jason Tower, the superintendent of the Southern Indiana Purdue Ag Center, and Robert Zapancic, Southeast Area NRCS grazing specialist. And so we were talking about cover crops and, and grazing. Now, most cover crops are already seeded. Are there any species or mixes that could cause some issues for livestock, Robert? Um, yeah, the sorghum family, sorghum sanan grass, sanan grass, all those species, when they get stressed, from mainly frost, but um, also severe drought, uh, they can produce a compound that's called prussic acid. Most of the time, it's not a big deal. Um, but like I said, when they get frosted, the recommendation is seven to 14 days after a killing freeze to make sure animals don't graze um, on any of the sorghum family. And Purdue's got a good publication called Min- Minimizing the Prussic Acid Poisoning Hazard in Forages, AY-196. So if anybody wants to look it up on the Internet, they can get more details. Probably the other consideration is is a lot of these cover crops, particularly the, the cool season ones, are extremely, extremely high-quality feed, which is, which is a good thing. Um, if you have a, a great deal of brassicas in there, your turnips and, and radishes, you really need to make sure that those animals have enough other dry material to eat. Uh, if you've got a decent stand of oats in there, that can work. But if it's heavily on those brassicas, the the digestibility on those is so high, those animals get extremely loose and can really, uh, from a weight standpoint, go backwards on you. So the recommendation would be to you set some dry hay out or, or some other feed in that situation uh, so, so those animals can utilize fully those nutrients and uh and not i said lose weight um can get too high a protein can cause some other things and high nitrogen uh in the system so that old rough hay that that uh, a lot of us got made in july this year for the first time uh, would fit a situation like that perfectly to keep those animals in a in a good positive nutritional state now guys last year we recorded a podcast about seeding warm season cover crops after wheat for soil health and grazing just Kind of on a basic level here for me, Robert, what's the difference between that and winter grazing? Well, the warm seasons, you would plant them mostly after weed harvest. Um, So from the end or the first of July to maybe the end of August, but probably the middle of August to get the most benefit from them. So they like to grow in the heat of the summer like corn and soybeans does. Um, So those are going to be pretty much at least in central Indiana where I'm at, they're pretty much done. Um, If you haven't got them grazed yet, they're turning brown. That's that sorghum species that you're worried about with the frost. So we would be grazing those from the end of July up until this time of the year green, or they can if they're frosted. They still have pretty high quality in them, even frosted and brown. You know, the animals will still graze them after they've gone dormant or been killed. Uh, the cool season species are more like the oats, the turnips, the radishes, um, all the cereal grains of wheat, cereal rye, triticale, those kind of things, um, crimson clover, that like to grow in the cooler part of the year. So you seed those from September 1st or the middle of August at the earliest. 
and then they grow a little bit in the fall and then kind of set dormant through the winter and then their big growth factor hits in the springtime um so those are the forages the cool season forages we can graze all winter if you've got enough growth there or graze some in the fall after crops come off Again, you're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. I'm with Jason Tower, Superintendent, Southern Indiana Purdue Ag Center, and Robert Zapanzik, Southeast Area NRCS Grazing Specialist. We're talking about fall-winter grazing considerations here on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. Uh, going back to, to spring grazing a little bit, w- with that wet spring that we had this year, Robert, we heard some farmers chopped cover crops for haylage. First off, what is haylage? And second, is this a practice that more farmers could take advantage of? Yeah, Jason could talk to this about this probably more than me because he he's done it, actually done it there on his farm. But haylage, you either call it haylage, silage, baleage. There's a lot of different terms for putting up a forage product as a wet product greater than 20% moisture, but usually more around 50 to 60% moisture. Um, And then wrapping it with plastic and making it go through the ensilage process, just like corn silage would be done, except it's a forage product. Um, So number one, it lets you to have a shorter period of time between when you cut that and actually um, harvest or bale it up and put it in the plastic so that rain is not a biggest factor as when trying to make dry hay. Um, And if anybody knows anything about this spring, it was hard enough to make haylage, let alone try to make dry hay before probably the end of June for most of the state of Indiana. Um, So haylage just allows you to, to get that baled earlier in the season when we have more frequent rainfall in a product that, um, saves the value because the ensilage product process keeps it from molding. So yeah, Jason can talk about that a little bit more in detail. Yeah, it's it's the potential uh for extremely high quality feed with these with these cover crops is is huge. Uh that these cereals uh, grains can come on in the spring uh and they come on early enough in the year that that producers will be able to to harvest those in a timely fashion and still get get uh, your cash crop planted in a timely manner to where you're not sacrificing yield and things there. We've got uh, producers in the area, and we've done anything from wheat and cereal rye, wrap that, to uh, annual ryegrass, uh, anything with some clovers in there. Again, it, it just makes a very high-quality feed. Uh, this year was a little bit of a challenge. Uh, we were so wet, uh, just condi- ground conditions uh, for you know harvesting or grazing either one would have been an issue. But, you know, Robert hit it, you know, right on. Uh, you're letting that stuff wilt for 24, 36 hours just to get some of the moisture out and then picking that back up. Uh, baleage is, is t- generally the term you think about uh, that is, is, as he mentioned, you bale that with the, your round baler and you have the individual bales or a long tube. Uh, somebody mentions haylage. It's basically the same product, but typically it's put in a uh, trench silo or maybe an upright silo depending on what they've got. Uh, at the end of the day, it's it's the same process to make that feed and quality is is potential We've got a producer in our area that that does a annual ryegrass and corn silage rotation and has for years 
and really gets a lot of quality feed off off those acres and keeping that ground covered and growing year-round has got to be a positive uh, from a soil standpoint. Uh, with the way the rains come, there's always something to protect that bare soil. Yes, and the other thing to think about from a soil health standpoint is, like Jason mentioned, the compaction issue. You don't want to tear up your field trying to harvest it. And then the other issue that a lot of people don't think about is you are removing a lot more nutrients off that field. So you need to take that into account in your um, fertilizer nutrient management plan that when you move that forage product from that field, that's removing a lot of nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, and potentially lime off that field compared to a typical corn-soybean type rotation. Now to wrap things up here on the Hat Soil Health podcast uh, for this month, let's go back to Jason here. and and, To kick things off here, Jason, we were talking again about uh, fall, winter grazing considerations, and obviously this is something, this is what you're doing there uh, at the Purdue Ag Center uh, in southwest Indiana. So let's let's talk about just if you've got any tips, some best practices, some things that you're doing. Uh, if, if you've got folks out there that have been trying some different things, obviously you're doing some research and trying different things. Uh, just talk a little bit about what's been working for you here recently and some best practices for folks to try out. As far as uh, a mixture, I really like a, a spring oat, a turnip, and an annual ryegrass and then a cereal grain mixed in there. Uh, if weather conditions play right, uh, the spring oats and turnips give you a tremendous amount of grazing early this fall. If you've got the, the moisture to get it up and going, uh, you're able to utilize that, let it rest all winter, and then typically those cereals and annual ryegrass get up and growing several weeks in front of our, our perennial cool season forages. So we're able to shorten the winter feeding period on that end as well before we, we get on our fescues and, and they wake up in the, in the spring of the year. Managing it, you know, just like any other pasture deal, uh, you think about it like your haystack. Uh, you don't open the gate and let the cows in your whole haystack that you've got saved back for the winter. Uh, you really need to go out and ration, ration that feed out. Uh, ideally, you know, you'd do it on a daily basis and, and uh, using temporary fencing, uh, with some poly wire and step-in post, uh, give them enough for that 24-hour period, and then do it again the next day. I know a lot of people are cramped with time and things like that and may not be able to do it on a daily basis. If you could do it every day or every third day, twice a week, the efficiency of those animals grazing and the grazing days that you'd get out of that standing forage is well worth your effort to do that. So any time that those animals are out there grazing, you're not having to start up a tractor set out that harvested feed is is money that you're saving and and is important to the the bottom line and there again uh, you can regulate density and adjust things if things get wet pull animals off with a little common sense uh, as to when you should and shouldn't be grazing out there but you know the biggest thing is 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 be smart about how you utilize that and and take the time to to do some a little more intensive grazing on that to justify your the expense and time to get that stuff out from a grazing standpoint and then leave plenty of residual. As Robert's talked about, we need something out there to, to protect that soil in the wintertime from rains come down and things, so you don't want to graze it down to look like uh, your shop floor, but uh, you know, leave three or four inches of residual for through the winter, and, and you'll be surprised the benefits come spring as well. Robert, any final thoughts? Just uh, encourage people to, to try it in small areas to begin with, and then I think they'll adopt it over 
bigger acres. That's Robert Zupanzik, Southeast Area NRCS Grazing Specialist, and also Jason Tower, the superintendent of the Southern Indiana Purdue Ag Center. I thank them for joining us for this month's Hat Soil Health Podcast. I thank you for joining us for this Hat Soil Health Podcast. It's been presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. To find out more about them and also learn more about soil health events in the area, visit ccsin.org. One event that is on the way December 17th through the 19th, the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. Hoosier Ag Today is intimately involved. We are uh, part owners of the show. We would love to see you there. NRCS will be there. They'll have their rainfall simulator, amongst other things they'll be discussing. They're at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. You can pre-register now and also enter to win a $3,000 power tool package by visiting indianafarmexpo.com. Again, we hope to see you there we can talk about soil health while we're at it. Again, the Hat Soil Health Podcast has been a presentation of the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative and Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.